Well, if you have your copies of God's Word, it will be up there on the screen, but it's always good to have yours in your lap open. We are learning through observing. There's so many places you can go by doing that, but I think we touched on some good practical truths uh, this morning. And um, so I want to ask you guys, like we normally do, who's our runners tonight? Who's our runners? We have Mark and we have, there you are. Okay, great. So let's hit the button here. And so what are some observations? Here's our text, all right, from this morning, those six verses. Observations, applications, things that stood out to you, things that spoke to you, anything, something that really stood out to me and spoke to me. I'm going once. All right, we got Ozzy over here. Here comes Mark, and then we'll go after Ozzy. Yeah, because people online can't hear you either then. Yeah, it's, it's mostly for those of us who have bad hearing. Yeah, yeah, that would be a treat. But why don't you use the mic, okay? <laughs> um, I just appreciated the fact that Paul wasn't sitting on his rear doing nothing allowing everybody else to do the work. Mm-hmm. He just jumped in and, you know, even like you said, even after they've been shipwrecked and everything, yeah. I'd, I'd been like, yeah, sure, put a fire up. I'm fine. I'm going to sit here. <laughs> yeah. But um, he chose to serve. Serve. Yeah, he chose to serve. Amen. Thank you, Ozzy. That's great. Drew? Uh, three things. The... Um St. Paul Bay thought that might have been symbolic, but nope, get bit by a snake and they name a bay after you. So that, that was a little bit clear. Um, but from Sunday school and then here, just the courage of strength in God. So Sunday school uh, hit real briefly and looking forward to later and more on Polycarp. But he was about to get burned and he said, I'll just stand here. No needs for the rope. I got it, guys. Um, because of his strength and conviction in Christ and, and same with Paul. <laughs> I just, you know, shuck a snake off like, oh, just another day in the life of me headed to Rome. You know, it's yeah. the, to have that strength in, in Christ is just um, what a great application for all of us. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Drew. Uh, we have Steve Pauling right over here. There we go. Caleb's got it. There you go. How about now? Oh, yes, yeah. Build an ark. Uh, <laughs> uh, Friday when I walked past your office, we, I mentioned uh, to you about uh, how I saw in this passage where uh, mm. the Lord fulfilled for prophecy. And one of the things when I was young and reading a lot of Hale Lindsay and stuff like that and White Pentecost and, and all that was I didn't realize that the way to interpret prophecy is through Scripture. Because I always thought everything in Scripture was talking about thousands of years later. But as it turns out that, no, when Joel was prophesying about the great day of the Lord, it was in Acts 2. And when Jesus prophesied about uh, you'll drink deadly things or you'll take up the snake and whatever, and you, you, you will not be harmed, we see here Paul fulfilling the prophecy of Christ. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's, it's wise to say, okay, if, I, if there's a part of prophecy I don't understand, um, 
and I don't know how to interpret, uh, what I should do is I look for those parts of Scripture that have been fulfilled and see if they're fulfilled in the same way. In this case, Paul is not taking up the snake in a big religious Pentecostal uh, servant, uh, service, but instead he's doing stuff, picking up sticks, doing, doing the work uh, that's, that's needed at the time, and then the snake comes along. Um, and I, th- I think that that's, that says that, okay, if we look for a fulfillment of Christ's prophecy at the last chapter of Mark, we should look for events similar to that which Paul experienced, not necessarily what the guys down in Tennessee that are snake handling do. So, No, thank you, Steve. And we, we love the people in Tennessee. And, no, I'm, te- I'm teasing. No, I appreciate that, too. Because when you brought that up, I hadn't even thought about that on Friday. So thank you. That you're bit by snakes and nothing will be harmful to you. Excellent. Anyone else? Things that stood out to you. All right, we have right over here. Mark, you got that. There you go. Sorry. <laughs> Thank you. Um, we talk about God's prophecy and how Paul is being used to uh, fulfill God's prophecy. And my brain thinks, what if? What if Paul had not entered that ship? What if it was just the 276 people? on that ship or 275 minus Paul God said that none of them would be killed would any of them have been killed had Paul not entered that ship for some reason that's how my brain runs what if you know but on the other hand I'm thinking that there isn't a chance that that would have happened because God has a prophecy he has a plan he had to do what he had to do and without Paul doing what he did uh, it never would, nothing would have followed after that. So I just kind of draw on the fact that God has a plan and his plans aren't to be messed with and whatever happens, that's his plan. And so the what-ifs don't even apply. But that's how my brain works sometimes as I think about what if, some, what if this happened instead of that. Sure. All right. Thank you for that. I appreciate that. There's a, I love that scripture always brings questions to your minds that, that forces you to find answers. So, so thank you. Anyone else? Observations, things that may have spoken to you? Applications, anything at all? Going once. Oh, yep, we have Laura right over here. This is kind of a hard one. Um, paying attention to how Jesus works in trials will prepare you for the next one with less fear each time. I don't know, when my dad died, it was a huge trial. And I don't feel completely, I don't know that I'll ever not miss him. So I'm not looking forward to the next time, but I know I could handle cleaning an estate, which I don't want to ever do. But, you know, it's like it put, I don't know, intelligence in that area that I didn't have before. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm not asking for any tests, but... (laughs) You know. <laughs> Nor am I praying for patience. No, no. <laughs> no I know what you mean. <laughs> anyway. No, that's good. Amen. Paul, I saw your hand. We got Paul, and then we have Jason Shea after that. So if you'd bring Paul, and if you'd get, thank you, and get Pastor Jason. Thank you, Mark. Yeah, it just kind of dawned on me. We're studying contentment in, in the Sunday school class that I'm involved with. 
And Paul has lived a pretty, pretty rough life and has learned the secret of contentment. And so here's just great evidence of in the middle of this really tough thing that's going on, he just steady as a rock, mm-hmm. keeps going with peace, joy, just keeps serving. Even if people condemn him and call him different things, it doesn't matter. He just keeps going. So, yeah. you know, what a cool thing to have the contentment that the Lord can give us. Amen. Amen. Can we have the backspace on that um, screen just so the text is still in front of us? Pastor, Jason. Well, since Paul mentioned his contentment class and Steve's church history class was mentioned, I've got to mention the judges class. So no no (laughs) comment there necessarily other than to say it. And and do we have a representative for the prayer class as well? (laughs) Don. Don's on security. Okay. Anyway, uh, my point there was I really appreciated how you called out the kindness of the the natives there, uh, the the barbarians, right? And when you pair that to the kindness that uh, you mentioned the previous week that Julius had shown, the centurion, Mm -hmm. Uh, Luke specifically uses that word kindness over and over again there in 27 and 28. It's just another great reminder. I mean, these are not Christians. Mm -hmm. And yet they were used by the Lord to further the gospel, to help Paul get to where he needed to be. Mm -hmm. And it's a reminder to me that the Lord is Lord over non-believers as well. Mm -hmm. And he will use them as he pleases to to help his gospel be proclaimed, uh, even if it's not obvious to us. And it was just convicting to hear you say that, look, sometimes non-believers, are, they can outdo us if we're not careful yeah. in showing kindness and grace and, and hospitality. And so that was, that was very challenging and encouraging to hear. Amen. Yeah. Thank you, Pastor Jason. Anyone else? Excellent point. Things that stood out to you, things that spoke to you, any applications? Once? Going Twice? Okay, let's move on to the next section here. And this, we won't be in this too long tonight. But if we were to advance this slide, I'm just going to go ahead and read it because this is through verse uh, 16, a little bit condensed here. And it says this, you know, after the snake bite and the fires and the kindness and, and um, the Lord protecting him. And it happened that the father of Publius was lying in bed, afflicted with... No, we don't have to hit it yet. I'm just reading it, so we can back up. There we go. Was lying in bed, inflicted with recurring fever and dysentery. And Paul healed him. And the rest of the people of the island who had diseases were coming to him to be cured as well. And they, they showed Paul and his friends many honors and supplied us with everything we needed. And then after three months of being on the island of refuge, which was a wonderful sabbatical in many ways, we set sail on another really Alexandrian ship. That's the one that sank. They're in another one now, which had wintered at the island because, you know, you don't travel during the winter on the Mediterranean Sea, which had the twin brothers as its figurehead. There we found some brothers and sisters and were invited to stay with them for seven days. And that is how we got to Rome. And from there, brothers and sisters, when they heard that we were coming, came as far as the market of Apias and the three inns to meet us. And when Paul said them, he gave thanks to God and took courage. Quick word of prayer and we'll walk through this. Gracious Lord, teach us your word. Thank you for all that it teaches us. And we love you. In Christ's name we pray this. Amen. All right. 
So it's kind of a strange way to begin, but I think it adds to a little bit of historical accuracy when we kind of jump into this text. It's fun to see just how specific Dr. By the way, we remember he's a physician. Dr. Luke is uh, with his details and how, how his details literally jive with secular, and not just secular, but regional history here as we look at the island of Malta. It says this, the father of Publius was lying in bed inflected with reoccurring fever in dysentery. Now, this is the only mention of dysentery in the entire New Testament. It's the only time that we see it. Now, the word fever here is written in the word is written in the plural tense, right? Which tells us that it is intermittent, reoccurring, and long-lasting fever for many, many months, if not years. That's what that is pointing towards there. Fevers that could last months and years. Now, you add that, the fevers... Um, come and go or stay for a long time, and you add it with the word dysentery, and it tells us of a very specific illness that to this day is called Malta fever. It's called Malta fever. It is a microbe, like I said, this is just curious history here, a microbe that curiously and primarily and originally is found in the milk of goats raised on the island of Malta. All right. That's why they call it Malta fever, because that's where it was originated and discovered. Now, this, however, was not discovered, this microbe, all right, until the 19th century. This is kind of interesting and cool how 2,000 years later after this, Luke describes an illness that is specific to the island of Malta with perfection. That 1,900 years later, give or take, it will be tied, all right, uh, health physicians will tie it to a microbe found in the milk of goats that lived on the island of Malta. Here's why I bring this up, all right, because A, I love history and I'm kind of a nerd on that kind of stuff. The historicity of Luke in his writings is without equal. Luke is considered one of the foremost historians, even in secular places as well today. The point here is this, even in the mundane details the mundane details, the Bible can be trusted. i got to cough. Hang on one sec. <coughs> Excuse me. Even in the mundane details, the Word of God can be trusted. So Paul lays his hands on this man, and he prays that he is healed. By the way, it's the only time in the New Testament that you see the apostles laying hands and praying at the same time. Again, mimicking the ministry of Jesus Christ. All through the ministry of Paul, we constantly see a shadow of the ministry of Jesus Christ. Three times declared innocent. Uh, three times, uh, let's see, declared innocent. We find that he is, um, oh, in a little bit, he will have a triumphal entry into the city of Rome, but I won't want to tip my hat too much there. And now he lays his hands on a man and he prays for them. And look at what they did. It says here, the rest of the people on the island who had diseases were coming to him and being cured. We see that there. Now, we can understand this. We all understand this move. I think if we heard of a genuine healer in the area. Now, I'm not talking like, my heartburn is gone, okay? I'm not talking about that kind of healing. I'm talking about, give me some things that would just really go, now there is the power of God. If you saw, what kind of healing? Talk to me. What kind of healing? What do you got? Broken leg. Broken leg, all right? If someone had a broken leg and... Boom, the bone was mended. How about something else? Anything else that really stands out to you? Blindness. Blindness. Deafness. 
maybe as the, the crippled man from birth. And, and Okay, if we all saw that, all right, if we heard of a genuine healer, we would do the same thing, would we not? We would pick up our loved ones or ourselves. We would crawl over there, and we would want to be healed. What's interesting here is the little detail that comes after this. They also showed them many honors. Now, the word honors here in the Greek literally means material or monetary gifts. Material or monetary. It's not like they put a pin on him or gave them the title of sir and knighted him. That's not the honors we're looking at here. It means material or monetary gifts. You'll find this word in Acts chapter 4, Acts chapter 5, Acts chapter 19. It's not that they just honored him and that they respected and they're grateful. Certainly that would be inclusive of this idea. But the term here is used of really a, a payment for medical services. Thank you for doing this. Thank you for healing. We want to, we want to somehow say thank you with these material gifts. That's what we're looking at here. So after being there for three months, highly respected, performing miracles, healing people, all right, being bitten by a snake, yada, yada, you know the rest, they set sail on an Alexandrian ship. So what we have here is Julius finds another ship and he puts them on them that wintered in the island because no one travels. We saw that last week. You don't travel in the winter on the Mediterranean, which had the twin brothers for its figurehead. Now, I don't know about you, but as soon as I read that, that perks my interest and go, what in the world are we talking about here? All right? Made me a little curious. The word twin brothers for its figurehood, this is a marking that would have been on the front of the ship. Much like as you look at any ship today, when you're at port, on the front of that ship, it has a name of that ship, it has a flag, it'll even have the port of origin where they register the boat. That's what we're looking at here. It is a marking on the front of the ship that served to to identify the ship on which they traveled. Now here again are the cool details from Luke again, because Luke loves nautical stuff. We see in how he describes when he sails, and even earlier in Acts it says, the wind was behind us, we moved so quickly, we got there in so many days, and then the wind was against us, and we ported here, and here we have the name and the markings of the ship, because Luke loves that. If I were to put this into a contemporary term, all right, it would be as though Luke said, we, board, we boarded United Airlines Flight 440. That's how specific of a title this is. The twin brothers here are the names Castor and Pollux. Hope I pronounced that correctly. Which, by the way, were the mythological sons of Zeus, or depending on what culture you're coming from, Jupiter. The mythological sons that were once men, and he made them into demigods. Now, these two sons that were sons of Zeus, or depending on which culture you're coming from, Jupiter, they were, view, they were viewed as deities, now grab this, that protected sailors on the seas... That's why it was chosen, right? No one ever picks a sunken ship as an assembly on the front of the boat. Can I get a witness on that? No, you put, hey, demigods, deities that, that here it is, guarantee smooth sailing. That's why, they, that's why they put them on there. Added to the fact that they were from Alexandrian, we're able to find what fleet of ships this is. 
and what port they call home. Many would say Egypt would have owned these ships as they send grain. Again, Paul just came from an Alexandrian ship that sunk, that was a grain ship, roughly around 140 some odd feet long, 36 feet wide, 276 people on board. They find another one, a grain ship from Alexandria, likely owned from Egypt since we are looking at those markings. Now, I don't know about you, but how many here ever smirk? Does anyone here ever smirk? I smirk. A lot of people say I go to bed with a smirk. I wake up with a smirk. When I was in high school, I was voted best smirk, all right? It's just on my face. Sometimes Amy's like, I see you're smirking. I'm like, no, this is my resting face. My resting face is a smirk. Don't miss the humor here on Paul. Can you see the smirk here? The humor, the irony of the ship. As his last one sits on the bottom of the Mediterranean Sea, Paul gets on a ship that guarantees smooth sailing. Now, some scholars contend, and for me, I think this is sanctified speculation at best. Some contend that such a marking on the ship was God's humorous way of saying things will be smooth from here. Now, that being said, who knows, right? But I thought you'd enjoy that information. Then it says this. We found some brothers and sisters. You see that in the blue. We found some brothers and sisters. In fact, I believe it even, there it is. You see it a couple times here. What we see here is this. There are Christians already in and around Rome. And Paul has not even been there yet. There are Christians in and around Rome. Churches are established and believers are found before Paul ever gets there and know him personally, right? And some of them are even running out to meet Paul. Now, I don't know about you, but, you know, at least a a surface-like question would be, how is this possible? Paul's, Paul's apostle to the Gentiles. He hasn't been there yet. Why are there so many believers? Well, real quick, Paul had written a letter to Roman believers three years before this ever happened. While he was in the city of Corinth, Paul wrote all right, the, a letter to them. And, and three years before he had ever arrived. And in this letter, not only does he introduce himself in Romans chapter 1, but he told them how he longed to visit them. And one of the reasons he wanted to visit them is to gain their financial and prayer support in order to do additional missionary journeys to Gentile nations. That's kind of like what we have today when we get missionaries who email us or call us and say, hey, we'd love to come and present our ministry to support us so we can continue to do this. That's why Paul wanted to go to Rome. In fact, you'll see that in Romans chapter 1, 11 through 15. He also used the letter at the same time, all 16 chapters, to teach them practical and spiritual truths about their new faith in Jesus Christ. He talked to them about moral purity. He talked about Jews and Gentiles being grafted into the church. He talked about being flexible with one another. Romans chapter 14, being flexible. One man sees one day equal, others the rest, and food and all that stuff. But be flexible. There's a lot of practical truth in there for a young church, and frankly for an older and established church as well. All right? So he sends them this letter full of practical and spiritual truth about faith in Christ. And what I find interesting here, and it, with the only copy in existence, right? With the only copy of existence back in the day, he looks over at the church of Corinth and all that is going on there, and this absolute honor and responsibility to deliver the only letter to the Romans, all right? is given to this godly woman, deaconess, or servant called Phoebe. You'll find that in Romans chapter 16, verse 1. Obviously, this letter we know is called Romans. 
So he wanted to come and gain their prayerful and financial support to extend his missionary journey to the Gentiles. However, and I think you brought this up, what if, what if, what if, what if? Whenever I get up here, names shrink. Remind me of her name again? Jan. All right. Jan said, what if, what if, what if? I like this here. Paul wanted to go there gain support, and move on, spend some time with them, all right? But this is not how he will arrive in Rome. He arrives in much different circumstances. God is in control, we are not. He is sovereign, we are not. Rather than riding up there to gain support, he is a prisoner of Rome. And I like how it says here, it's really anticlimactic. It says here, and that is how we came to Rome. It just... For four months now, in fact, for kicks and giggles, it took him four months to get to Caesarea, to Malta, and to Rome combined was four months of travel. And that's how we got there. Now, it took him four months to get there. Now, because of his letter that today we call Romans, right, that, that his sister in the Lord Phoebe delivered, they not only were introduced to Paul in his teaching, but they were excited to welcome him. This is interesting. We touched on it briefly this morning. And when they heard about this, they came as far, right there in the yellow, as far as the marketplace and three ends to meet us. Now, these are two different locations. As you can see up there, the first one that is mentioned is 45 miles away from Rome. The second one was roughly 35 miles away from Rome, three ends. That's a long way to go. Some were quicker than others. Maybe others couldn't travel as far, but they went there just to meet Paul and walk with him. Boy, talk about Christian fellowship there, all right? Just to meet him on his way in and walk into the city with him. Real quick observation here. Paul was being afforded something like his own little spiritual triumphal entry into the capital, which is a wonderful shadow of how Jesus' ministry went as well. By the way, it will not go well for him there eventually. He also will lose his life eventually, all right? But what I want to close with this evening is a really practical observation that Luke kind of ends with, and that is Christian fellowship. Christian fellowship. We talked about that briefly this morning, coming to church, listening to a sermon, singing some songs, and then running out when you're dismissed. That's not church. Church is fellowshipping with believers, walking along one one with another, centered around the gospel of Jesus Christ. So what I want to pick up here is Christian fellowship. It says this, when Paul saw them, he thanked God and took courage. He thanked God and took courage. If we pay attention to this, we'll see some general wisdom about the church and Christian fellowship. And there's three of them, and here they are. First of all, they had a desire for Christian fellowship. A desire for, and by the way, this is alliterated with D's, all right? A desire for Christian fellowship. They were invited to stay with them for seven days. We find that in verse 14. Seven days. And because Paul is so respected, it's granted. And they spend seven days together. We also see that many Christians came from Rome to meet him. And we see these instances, in these instances, we see a great desire for fellowship. A great desire to be together. Here's what I want you to grab on desire. Desire is a requirement for Christian fellowship. Desire is a strong requirement for Christian fellowship. If there is very little beneficial fellowship, if it is not desired in our hearts. Also, our hearts reveal itself by what we desire. 
All right? Do you desire to be with other believers in Jesus Christ? Do you desire to be together around that which you have most in common, the gospel of Jesus Christ? Desire is important. Desires drive us. Number two, the duty in Christian fellowship. The duty. Sometimes we're willing to have fellowship with people as long as it is fill in the blank. I'm really open to fellowship as long as it is what? Give me some words on a shallow level. What's that? If it benefits me, they are just like me. I'm just reminded of myself. That's a good one. What are some other reasons we'll say, yeah, I'll have fellowship if what? There's food, <laughs> says the person who cooks food. And you, I'm looking forward to that again. What do we, what do we have in next Monday? You don't know yet? Okay, well, that's, that's a spiritual condition, all right? Yes. If it doesn't take too long? If it's convenient, if it's easy? If it's fun, if it's, if we just, as long as we don't have to, if there's no opportunity where we actually have to talk to anyone, I have a friend that's like, I don't mind church. I just don't like talking to people. And I'm like, I'm not sure you like church. All right. (laughs) Anyone else? As long as it's easy, as long as it's surfaced. Sometimes we are willing to, how about this? If nothing better comes up. Did you sign up on the, the, the sign-up sheet? No, why not? Because something better might come up, and I want to be open to do that instead of this. Let me finish my sentence here. Sometimes we're willing to have fellowship if it's easy, if it's fun, or if it's low commitment. Man, you guys nailed it, all right? You want to know why? Because we all carry the same nature. These people, look what they do. They give their time. They give their money. They give their resources to be with one another. 45 miles away and walk him in. In short, we need to give of ourselves if we're going to have meaningful fellowship. Here's an old saying. You, you, you receive what you what? Put into it. I have a letter in my office I wish I could share with you, but it's irrelevant. Here we go. Here it is. We have to give of ourselves. All right. There's a duty in Christian fellowship. And then finally, the delight in Christian fellowship. Delight in that it brings help. It brings help and it encourages one another. And it says there, they thanked God and took courage, desire, duty, and delight. So with all of that up there, what we're going to do is we're going to add it to this morning's, and we're just going to allow the pure text to speak for itself. And I'll try to do this quickly, but you know how my brain works. And when they about there safely, because he received a promise of the Lord that not a hair on their head would ever perish, they found out that the island was called Place of Refuge. Well, that works really good. But all of a sudden, barbarians come down and show us extraordinary philanthropy, all right, in kindness, in love towards us. And they kindled a fire and took us all in because of the rain, and it was the middle of winter, and we were cold, verse 3. But when Paul was out there in humility, he is serving He's not one to take help without helping himself. He gathered a bundle of sticks and he laid them on a fire. A viper came out because of the great heat and really is going to fulfill the end chapters of Mark, like Steve Poling said, and fastened himself to his hand and pumped in six times the amount of venom it takes to kill one person. And the natives, the barbarians, saw this creature hanging from his hand and they began saying to one another, this man is undoubtedly a murderer. Now, I got I got to tell you this. In in antiquity, if someone survived a storm, it was if the gods have spoken to their innocent or their guilt. 
If they went down in the storm, clearly the gods think they're guilty of something and they got their up and comings, right? If they survive a storm, well, then the gods must think they're innocent. Are you following me here on this? But clearly, he must be a murderer. Now, why would they think Paul is a murderer? Well, there's Roman guards there, are there not? And what are those Roman guards doing? They're protecting and watching and guarding what? Criminals. Paul must be one of those criminals. He was not sunk in the storm. He must be innocent. Nope, he's a murderer because Lady Justice, which is in the feminine form in verse 4, Lady Justice will not allow the storm to make judgment. It will not allow him to be alive. However, Paul shook it off, Taylor Swift, and enter creature, creature off into the fire and suffered no harm. And they were expecting him to swell up and suddenly fall down and go boom. But after they had waited a long time, they saw that nothing was happened. They changed their minds, and boy, did they ever take a shift. They say, he must be a god. Now in the neighboring parts of this place, there were lands belonging to the leading men of the island, because actually Rome had occupied this place roughly a couple hundred years before the birth of Christ, but they pretty much let the culture alone, and they would, they would highlight one man to be um, the leader. All right, We find that in verse 7, named Publius who welcomed us and entertained us warmly for three days. 276 people for three days. Ladies and gentlemen, whoever you are responsible for hospitality in your house, are you ready for 276 people to show up? No grocery stores, okay? Extraordinary philanthropy. And it happened that he was lying in bed, and he had what we know now to be Malta fever. Paul went up to him, and just like Jesus did, and it's the only time an apostle did it. laid hands on him and healed him at the same time. And after this had happened, the rest of the people of the island, boy, they brought in those who needed to be cured. They also showed us many monetary gifts as thank you for the medical help we gave them and honors. And when they were about to set sail, they supplied us with everything we needed. And after three months, we set sail on another Alexandrian grain ship, which had been wintered there, which we should have done when we were in Fairhaven, but no one would listen to Paul, and which had the twin brothers from, from Zeus as a figurehead, and Paul got to be smirking, which guarantees smooth sailing. And after we put into Syracuse, we stayed there for three days. And there we say, sailed and we arrived at the city that I am not going to pronounce. And a day later, a south wind came up. And the second day, we went to that city, verse 14. There we found some brothers and sisters in Christ. And they invited to stay for us with us for seven days. And this is how we came to Rome. And from there, more brothers and sisters came out when they heard about us as far as 45 miles away, as far as 35 miles away to meet us because fellowship is costly. It should be desired. It's a duty, all right? And when Paul saw them, he was delighted. He thanked God and took care, courage. We need one another to take courage. Christianity is not an island that we live out by ourselves. We need to be committed to one another. And when I entered Rome, it was a triumphal entry. And Paul was so respected, verse 16, he was so respected and loved, he was allowed to stay in a rented home by himself with only one soldier guarding him, not the typical two, because Paul was not a, a flight risk because he lived out what he said he believed. Gracious Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for its depth. It's in your son's name we say thank you. Amen. Thank you, church. You are dismissed.